I grew up in high school with the Led Zeppelin, and they had a song, Communication Breakdown. So I, I made the title, Communication Breakdown. Because <laughs> there is a communication breakdown. And we need to learn how to communicate in love, as the Bible declares. And so, ah, that's what we came up with. Let's pray as we ask God to go before his word. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we thank you that we can turn to the pages of scriptures to just instruct us, to encourage us, to admonish us, to correct us, to rebuke us, Lord. And so I just pray, Father, that during this time in your word, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit says to the church this morning. Bless this time, Lord, as we offer it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So communication breakdown, James chapter 1, notice verse 26. The Bible says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. The way we got here is we've gone through the whole book of James. We've finished it, all five chapters. And as I was going through the book of James and I was teaching it, this is the first time that I got uh, to teach the book of James, I just noticed certain things were jumping out at me. One of them I covered last week. We looked at how God dealt with Job uh, through this godly man who persevered in the midst of suffering. But the end result is uh, what the Bible was showing us in the book of James, chapter 5, uh, as we looked at that, I think it was verse 10 and 11. But it talked about how God wanted to be compassionate towards Job and how God wanted to be merciful towards Job. And so that was something that as I was teaching through the book of James, as we were going through James, that just really stood out to me. And so we, we talked about that last week. And then this week, as I was, again, just going through James, we were going through it, um, I just noticed that the tongue and communication and how we speak had a lot to do with what this book of James was uh, talking about and declaring. And so I just wanted to just look at this topic, communication breakdown, and, and how we can get a handle on this thing, this tongue of ours, and how we can communicate in a way that would be godly and that would glorify the Lord and would be pleasing to the Lord, but also be beneficial. It's not that we can't um, be confrontational. It's not that we can't talk to people about negative things or things that are on our heart or things that we want to be able to express, but there's definitely a godly way to do it and an ungodly way to do it. And so we want to glorify the Lord with our tongues. We want to glorify the Lord in our communication. And so... Let's go through the book of James. We're going to see the scriptures that talk about communication in the tongue in the book of James. And we're, I'm just going to hit on those. I'll, I'll give a brief discussion. We've already gone through the whole book of James. But and then I'm going to show you two examples in the scriptures in another place. One's bad, a bad example of communication and what the Lord is seeking in light of that. And then one's, of course, good so that we can see what the Lord expects of us as it relates to communication. And again, this is how we got here. We've gone through the book of James and these things stood out to me. So that was number one. Number two, I was driving uh, in the car a couple weeks ago and I was listening to a message on, on the radio. And I remember um, the, the person that was sharing said... If you're ever going to communicate something negative, don't do it via um, alternative means of communication. Uh, do it in person. In other words, don't email somebody a negative message. Don't text somebody a negative message. Don't um, 
Any other means outside of face-to-face communication. Don't do it negative. If you have something negative to share and express with somebody, do that face-to-face. And, and I was kind of taken back like, wow, I, I'm always sending negative texts and negative messages. And so I kind of looked into it and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Because communication is 85% other Communication is body language, intonation, fluctuation in speech and and emphasis on words and voice and all of that. And so if we have something that is confrontational or of a negative nature to communicate, then we want to make sure that they see the heart behind that, not just the words. I told them, your fingers are getting hot, right? No, don't do that. And so that, again, that stood out to me a couple weeks ago as I heard that message. And so communication and what the Bible has to say about communication um, was important. And then there was another thing that, that kind of just stood out, and that, that's why we're here. So the first verse we looked at was 126. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and jump back to now Genesis chapter, I mean, James chapter 1. Notice verses 19 and 20. This is the first time in this little letter, the epistle that James writes, he mentions communication. James chapter 1, notice verses 19 and 20. James writes, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here's the other thing that that led to this message. Um, I remember back when my wife and I first got saved and we would visit with people um, and this happened on more than one occasion, by the way, um, embarrassed to share this, but nonetheless, it's the truth. I, I tend to be a, what is it? A, ca- a chatty Kathy. Yeah. That doll that you pull the string and it just talks. Right. And so I tend to do that and monopolize conversations. And, and I remember on more than one occasion, we would get in the car and my wife would say, why, why'd you do that? What, 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 what'd I do? What? You, you like, you monopolize the whole conversation. The wife was trying to tell a story and you cut her off and you began to share your input or give your opinion or tell what you wanted to say. And, and the husband, he was, he was pouring his heart out and you just ignored him. And then you just kept on with your story and it was a lame story to begin with. And so my wife lovingly would give me these words. And again, it was embarrassingly on more than one occasion as we were growing in the Lord and growing in the things of the Lord. And so I remember just that being something and part of my character, my personality, my horrible personality, but my nature. And and little by little, I began to see God grab a hold of my tongue. God grab a hold of my heart and change those areas. Not to say that I'm perfected in that area by any stretch of the imagination, but at least there's hope. There's hope for change. There's hope that God can help us actually be interested more in others than we are in ourselves. That God can actually take these tongues of ours and he can help us how to communicate biblically how to bless others when we speak to them. And so the first thing in this little epistle that James writes is, when you're mad, when you're angry, just, yeah, just, you want to you wanna hold on to that. Why? Judgment diminishes when emotions are raised. So emotions go up, judgment goes down. And so this is something that I've tried to do. If I have a strong feeling 
emotion about something to communicate to somebody, what I do is I let a little time go by, and if that intensity of that emotion remains the same or it gets higher, then I know that God is calling me to speak to somebody on an issue, to confront them, to talk to them about this thing that oh, I just feel intense about, right? But if it begins to diminish, then I realize, ah, maybe that was just my emotion. Maybe that was just me in that state. Just, oh, it meant such a big deal then. But as time goes on, it begins to diminish. Eh, then I just hold back. Okay? So James is telling us, again, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Just because we're angry doesn't mean that we're going to prove God's righteousness. So that's the first thing he says. Jump over to chapter 2, verse 10 with me. And notice in chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Jump down to verse 12 and 13. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If we're going to communicate with somebody, so speak and so do as one who will be judged. Every idle word, the Bible says in the Gospel of Matthew, we will be held accountable for. So be careful with the things that are flowing out of our mouths. Be careful as we speak to individuals. And then he, he gives us this thing, and it seems like almost contradiction. We're going to be judged by the law of liberty. Law of liberty? The law that sets us free? Yeah, take into consideration that the law sets us free. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then in that same chapter, a, little, a few verses later, he says, whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. And so the commandments of the Lord are not created to bring us into bondage, but they're created to set us free. Most of the time, oftentimes from self, right? From a wicked heart and a misconception of things. And so take that into consideration that we're going to be judged by the law of liberty, but also be merciful because mercy triumphs over judgment. So we can be judgmental. No, 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 no. Put the hat of mercy on instead of a judgmental spirit, of somebody who's quick to judge things and to read your truth into people's lives. Be merciful. Mercy is giving people what they don't deserve. Oh, no, not so grace. Not giving people what they deserve is mercy. So maybe they deserve this because I've discerned this. Be careful with that, okay? As we go on now, jump over to James chapter 3. Notice verses 1 and 2. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his his whole body. And so be careful if you're going to be in the position of representing God as you teach truth because your words are going to be judged by God. Then notice verses 5 through 12 in James chapter 3. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and set and sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. 
It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grapevine bear uh, figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. In this section where he's saying that no man can tame the tongue, he's speaking truth. And then he appeals to us as brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's God that can tame, tame the tongue. It's God that we need to yield this member to. And then he talks about um, out of the same spout, you're not going to have salt water and fresh water coming out of that same spigot. And so we need to be careful as we bless God with our tongue and then curse our fellow man, our brothers and sisters. He's saying these things should not happen. So be careful. There's, there's identifying marks for the believer and the tongue is set apart as unto God. Moving on in the epistle to James, notice in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. I'm sorry, 6, starting at verse 6. James chapter 4, starting at verse 6, the Bible reads, But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother judges his brother, speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live or do this or or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so in this section, he starts with an attitude of God wants us to have the disposition of humility. Pride is self and the self-life and, 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 and as it relates to speech, it would be, I have to get my point across. I have to be heard on this point. I have to be the one that is proven right here. That would be a prideful spirit in speech. The opposite of that would be humility. It's a lack of self. It's, it's to deny self. As Jesus said, all who would set out to come after me must first deny themselves take up their cross, and follow me. And so in a spirit of humility, there's a reference or deference. You're deferring to somebody else. What would be beneficial to them? What would be at their best interest? What would edify or build up them, even if it's a correction, even if it's a rebuke, even if it's a hard thing to be able to say? So start with a spirit of humility, and then he goes on to say, don't speak evil of another God's the judge of people. Let God do the judging. 
We need to love and let God judge. And then he goes into, um, but now your boast, verse 16, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, for him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so these are areas that the Lord is wanting to get a hold of our hearts in and with. Notice now James chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. He writes, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So again, he's getting our minds on eternity. He's getting our minds on the fact that life is not long. Uh, Earlier, he said that life was a vapor. It appears for a moment and then it vanishes. In that consideration, what do we want to be doing? We want to be living for eternity and the things of eternity. It's in the temporal realm that we begin to get in trouble. It's when I have to make my point. I have to be heard that we begin to get in trouble. Have eternity in mind. Don't grumble against one another, he's saying. And then... In James chapter 5, verse 12, he says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, with any other or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So I had a friend who posted this uh, two articles. uh, They were webinars on Facebook, and I, I, I watched them both. And one of them was this lady who was giving this talk on um online. And she said that we tell 300 lies a day on the average. And I was like, that's whack. I don't tell. I only tell 299. What's wrong with her? Like, she don't even know me, right? Um, So I was just watching this webinar and uh, just, you know, she said, look to the person to your right, uh, they're a liar. And look to the person to your left and they're a liar. And look to the person sitting behind you and they're a liar. And then she said, look to the person sitting in your seat. He or she is a liar too. And so her whole thing was on how we've just become this culture of, of just lies. We tell little white lies. We tell big, gigantic fish story lies. We tell all of these lies. So that piqued an interest. Um, and then he uh, also posted this other seminar on um, how to tell who, uh, who's lying to you. And so there's these little signs, you know, if they're looking up to the left or to the right or, you know, what they're doing with their body language and there's these, all these little signs. And so I called them and I'm like, bro, somebody lying to you in your life? Because, you know, what are you posting on these things? And so again, that piqued an interest with communication as I was looking at this. The Bible is clear and simple saying, why don't you just tell the truth when you talk? Let your yes be yes, your no, no. You shouldn't have to swear. You shouldn't have to swear on a stack of Bibles. You shouldn't have to get loud when you really are telling the truth. I've talked to people and I've been uh, just in conversation like, all right, bro, all right, right, all right, I'm going to tell you the truth then. Well, what have you been telling me the whole conversation before we got to the part where you're now going to tell me the truth? No, I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to be real right here. I'm gonna, and I'm like, well, then you've been lying. We as Christians shouldn't have to use all of these categories of qualifying statements before when we're uh, in our speech when we're talking to people. Just simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. What's the fear? It tends to be the fear of man. It tends to be, well, what will people think about me? Well, well what will they think if I you know, put the dirty, ugly truth out there that I'm struggling in an area or that I'm not perfect? Uh, number one, they're not perfect. They know that you're not perfect and... 
you'll get it off your chest. I always say, tell the truth and, and make the, dire, the devil a liar. How do I say it? Shame the devil, yeah. Tell the truth and shame the devil. That's what I say, you know. Because the devil, we, we have these dirty little secrets with us and the devil. As if God doesn't know. God knows the reality, right? And we're called to fear the Lord, not man. So that scripture is simply saying, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that is evil. And then the last two verses in James uh, chapters 19, uh, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I included that one because I think James is definitely somebody who's turning us back to the truth. And we should be those who as well have a desire to turn people back to the truth as people are wandering away from the path. And it's kind of hard because in our culture, um, oftentimes you'll come up, up across compulsive liars, people who lie for no reason. They, they just, it's part of their like, character that they've, somewhere they, they began lying and then they begin. And I, I would just prayerfully consider how the Lord would have us to be able to communicate in a loving way, stop lying. Cut that out. Why do you do that? Why do you lie unnecessarily? Like, I can't trust anything you say because I've seen throughout our conversations, you're lying. And, and you, you've, you've exposed yourself. Sin takes work. Uh, living in the truth and just telling the truth to people is a lot more liberating as the law of liberty sets us free. It, it doesn't take as much work. Sin is work. Because you have to remember your categories of lies and who, they told, who you told them to and who you said what to at what time. And, and it's just a lot of mental gymnastics with that. There's so much more just freedom and yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's the truth. It's ugly. It's plain. It's whatever. So that's what James has to say about the tongue and this communication that we have. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. I want to show you a negative example of the tongue and communication and even it shows us just where it 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 comes from first samuel chapter 15 we're going to look at a negative example there and then we'll go to the new testament for a positive example of what communication should look like so we'll be wrapping up first samuel chapter 15 Notice verses 1 through 3 with me. Old Testament book, 1 Samuel. The Bible says in verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, Saul is the king, Samuel is the prophet, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice, uh, the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Um, that, that's a pretty harsh section of scripture right there. God is speaking through his prophet to the king of Israel, that the king is to take the members of his army and they are to go and annihilate a people group, the Amalekites. Not, not a city, but the Amalekites were a region of people. 
to utterly destroy them, man, woman, child, nursing infant. And we look at that and we think, wow, how could, how could God do something so extreme? Well, let's put ourselves in God's place. The nation of Israel is in bondage in, in Egypt. And they're slaves. And God is going to deliver them and set them free from the bondage of this slavery. And as he is delivering them and they're exiting Egypt, the Amalekites are waiting, hiding out, and they are attacking the backside, the weak ones, the older ones. And they're doing things to them that you can't communicate, atrocious things. They're not only pilfering them, they're not only robbing them, they're raping them. They're brutally beating them, they're killing them. And these are God's children. This is the apple of God's eye. And so God declares over and over that he is going to judge those types of things. And he will judge nations that come against his nation, his people. And so God protects his own. Let me read you a few scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, starting at verse 17, the Bible says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. And so God proclaimed a judgment on that. God was going to deal with that. In Exodus chapter 17, starting at verse 14, the Bible says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn... The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And then in Numbers 24, 20, the Bible says, Then he looked on Amalek, and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until it perishes. And so this strong nation was given a warning by God, and they could have at any point in time repented, but they never did. They could have asked for God's forgiveness, and he would have granted it to them, but They never did. And so God's wrath was complete, full at this point, as he promised, when we come into the land and Israel is secure on each side, I will bring retribution. And that's where we find ourselves. As you continue on now in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel numbers his troops, I mean Saul, the king, numbers his troops and he goes in He is gracious to one of the countries that showed them grace and he lets them go free. And then he he makes war with Amalek or the Amalekites and he takes them. But he doesn't fully obey the Lord. There's a partial obedience. He, for whatever reason, holds back the best of the cattle and the sheep. And he spares the king Agag. God speaks to the prophet Samuel and says, I'm not pleased with Saul. He didn't follow me fully. 
I'm ripping the kingdom from him and I'm giving it to somebody who's better than him. And then Saul and um, Samuel, the prophet, have a meeting. And God calls him to, to bring this indictment, this judgment on him. And Saul comes and he makes a, a memorial for himself as if he did exactly what God had called him to do. And in a celebration and, and this statue or whatever it is, as you read through the chapter, you just see um, he's really stuck on self, Saul. And then um, Samuel and him have this encounter in this meeting. So Saul and Samuel have this meeting and Samuel, uh, Saul is gloating, boasting on obeying the Lord. I've done everything that God has called me to do. And the prophet Samuel says, what is the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle that I hear? Uh, uh, um, I'm hearing moo. I'm hearing bah. What is that if you obey the Lord fully? God told you to wipe them out. God told you to utterly destroy God told you not to leave anything, so you didn't. And then this indictment comes, verse 22 in 1 Samuel 15. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight? Oh, I got to tell you this. Saul's reason for not doing it was we wanted to sacrifice to the Lord. We thought better than God when God gave the command that we can do something holy and spiritual to God And this is what Samuel gives him back. Verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than the sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord He has also rejected you from being king. What was the rejection of the Lord? It was a partial obedience. God had given a clear command. And Saul made a choice to think better than God and partially obey. Because of that, God had judged him and removed the kingdom from him. The chapter goes on to show um, just the heart of God and Samuel is going to leave, Saul is going to leave, uh, Samuel, the, pro- the, the prophet, is going to leave, and Saul reaches out the king and grabs the hem of his garment and rips it, and God says, God has ripped the kingdom from you today. There's a sign right there that God has ripped this from you because of your partial obedience. God wants you to fully obey. And then it goes on, and you see the heart of Saul. Samuel, go back with me because what are the people going to think? His fear of man was greater than his fear of the Lord if you study and read through this chapter, okay? So God is communicating to us in this chapter as it relates to speech and the tongue that it needs to be utterly destroyed, that it is no match for any human being. There's no man that can tame the tongue, the Bible said in the book of James. It is something that has to be surrendered to God if we're gonna get a handle on it. It is something that we have to give over to God. The Amalekites in scriptures are a type of the flesh. And the only recipe, the only remedy for the flesh is utter annihilation. To give it to God and say, Lord, you crucify this thing because it will become a monster in my life and overcome me 
It's bigger than me. This little tiny thing that sits behind the guard of our teeth is an unruly evil. And the only way we're going to be able to master it is to utterly destroy it. And that's the flesh portion, if you will, of it. How do we represent God? How can we be God to people? Let God have that member as we crucify the flesh. Our positive example where we'll end is Matthew chapter 4. Go ahead and go with me there. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus on the earth, having been baptized and being now going to set into ministry, right before his ministry is going to take place, we have this encounter. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so here you have Jesus in his humanity at the lowest point of 40 days and 40 nights of having gone without food led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The temptation is real. Jesus is hungry. At this stage in his life, his body is literally eating itself to stay alive. His greatest need, his greatest physical need at this point is food. And Satan comes and hits him at his weakest point after the end of this fasting period. And Jesus comes back with the word of God. He quotes the word of God. So he knows the word of God. He quotes the word of God. But here's the power. He obeys the word of God. Could Jesus have turned the stones into bread? Absolutely. Does Jesus turn the stones into bread? Not only does he know the word, not only does he quote the word, but he obeys the word. He does not turn the stone into bread. As we go on, verse 5 says, Then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If, and that word if is since, since you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and into their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, It is written, you shall... Not tempt the Lord your God. So again, Jesus comes back with the word. Satan, knowing that Jesus knows the word, says, all right, I know the word too. I can quote the word. Satan knows the word better than you and I. Satan will always overpromise, underdeliver. Satan will always take the word and he'll give us the shell of the truth, stuff it with a lie. What Satan did here was he quotes from a psalm, but he el- eliminates or he doesn't uh, quote the whole thing. That these angels will give charge of you to keep you in all his ways. As you are walking with the Lord, as you are obeying that which the Lord said, these angels will take charge over you. They'll protect you. So Jesus doesn't even bother with that. Knowing that he's taking it out of context, knowing that he's misquoting it, just again comes back with the word. Jesus, once again, knows the word. He quotes the word. But 
Does he worship the devil? No. Does he tempt God in this case to throw himself down? No. He obeys the word. And then finally in the last temptation, again the devil, verse 8, took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So Jesus, again, knows the word, he quotes the word, but he obeys the word. He's not gonna worship the enemy. And this is what the enemy was saying. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't even have to be separated from your father. Lord, if this cup could pass from me, Jesus didn't want to be separated from his father. This cup could have been eliminated. But he prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so you see Jesus not only knowing the word and quoting the word, but obeying the word. And the enemy flees. Um, I am amazed with individuals who find themselves in horrendous sin and yet have a knowledge of God's word. It's not a knowledge of God's word that's going to keep us from sin. It's not being able to quote God's word that will keep us from sin. It is obedience to God's word that will keep us from sin. And God would not command it if he would not give us the ability to obey it. When it comes to the tongue, it's something that we cannot in our own strength handle. It's something that we have to be surrendered and submitted to God to let him take this thing to glorify him with it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your ways. We thank you for the example that you give to us, not only knowing the word and quoting the word, but obeying the word. And Lord, it is not sacrifice that you're looking for, but obedience. And so, Father, I pray that we would allow you to take the members of our bodies, be it our hands, our eyes, our ears, but in this case, Lord, our tongues, and that we would allow you to be glorified in and through the things that we say, how we say them, even if it is to bring correction, even if it is to communicate truth where we have been offended or hurt, Father, even in those moments that we would allow you access into the things we say and how we say them that would bring you honor, praise, and glory. Father, that our fear of God would be greater than the fear of man and that we would trust in you as we walk by faith in our communication. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.